because I miss us getting to, to be, the, be the church together because it's the things that we haven't gotten to experience in so long that we miss so much, you know, that sort of thing. And I was just, I, so I'm going to tell you, this is, I'm going to give you a little insight into me when I was, when I was younger. By the way, we're still in our series, Acts, 10 Ways that, that God is Building His Church. And so, and so I was thinking back when I was a kid, uh, I used to really, and, and I say when I was a kid, I still really, really like magic. Um, I used, I remember one, one time when I was younger, I was probably, I don't know, six or seven, I got to stay up late and watch one of the David Copperfield specials, and it was this one where he was put in a straight jacket, tied upside down over flaming spikes, and then they lit the rope on fire, and he had to get out of the straight jacket and escape before he fell to his imminent death, you know, that, that one. And I just remember when I was a kid being so tense and afraid because, because I mean, this guy was hanging over these spikes and they were going to explode and fire and he was going to have to get out or he was going to die and there was all this danger and there was all this fear and I was afraid because, because this, was, this was real. This was something that this guy was trying to do and it's only the... Sorry, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, magic and magic's not... Never mind. You can have that conversation with your kids later. But, but the more I watched programs like that over the years... The more, the, the way I, I still enjoy them, I still love watching illusionists and magicians and, and, and sleight of hand guys do, do some amazing, amazing things. But, but the way that I enjoy it, the older I've gotten has changed. Right? I enjoy things. I appreciate different things about what what I'm watching. I appreciate, like, before I was just amazed that this guy was going to get out of the straitjacket, or, or I was amazed that this guy made the Statue of Liberty disappear, or, or I was amazed that this guy was able to fly, or I was amazed that this guy was able to accomplish all these amazing and wonderful things, and, and, and I still enjoy it, but now I try to look at it from an intellectual place, an academic place. Oh, that was a cool effect that they came up with. I'm glad I can figure out how it is that they accomplished it. I bet it is, I bet that I can figure out what it is that they did to make me think that they did that thing for real. But I look at it from a kind of skeptical place, a place of there's no way that that's really happening, and it's still impressive to see it happen, but, but my eyes don't just go, whoa, that's amazing that they did that thing in the same way, because I'm looking at it so intellectually. And there's just a lot less amazement when I watch someone do magic or a magic trick or some sort of effect like that. I mean, I, 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 do, I do filmmaking stuff like that. I like to say, at this point, I think we're all a little bit desensitized to the fact that that spaceship flew into the room, sat down, and an alien walked out. We're like, yeah, that's a thing that you can do on a computer. Because we... We have this understanding, we think, of how everything works. It takes away the, the kind of wonder and amazement that accompanies it. And it's because they're things that we see so often. But, but, but when, when you're a kid and you haven't seen those kinds of things before, the first time you see something like that, it's just amazing. Your, your eyes get real big and you get really excited about, oh, I cannot believe that happened. How did they accomplish this? This is, this is magic. And we don't really feel that all the same 
these days because it's like we've experienced that. But I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, just getting to stand in a room with someone else playing guitar and not be staring at a computer screen to do my preaching, to be able to stand, to have to put on actual jeans to go to church feels very exciting to me. And I'm amazed by it because it's something that I haven't experienced in a long time. If you know me, you're going to know why this is so exciting. Just like a week ago, for the first time, we, we went out and sat down at a restaurant. And you know what happened? I got to have a fountain drink. And you know what comes with fountain drinks when you sit down at a restaurant? Refills. Look at this. This is how amazed I was to actually get to sit down and just enjoy. And it's like, these are things that I haven't experienced in so long <laughs> that it's so easy to take for granted when we get them all the time. But then now when things have been gone for as long as they have, we're like, this is amazing. Who would have thought Fountain Diet Coke would be the most amazing, miraculous thing that I'd experienced in so long, right? But, but those are the kinds of things that when we're children, when we're kids, when we experience something that we haven't experienced before or in a long time, or it just seems impossible, our eyes get real big and we're just amazed by it. In Acts, God did amazing, amazing things. But he didn't do those things just simply to show off. God used signs and wonders as an active part of the way that he was building his church throughout the book of Acts. Amazing, wonderful things. And what we're going to look at this morning is some different things that, that God did that were amazing in the book of Acts but, but more than that, I don't want us just to say, look at that amazing thing that God did. I want us to decide what we're supposed to do with the understanding that God works in this way. How it is that we're supposed to behave knowing that God is powerful in this way. So, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read from, this is the first sermon that was preached after the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. The disciples had been, we've, we've already talked about this, the disciples were huddled in a room praying, waiting for God to move. He said, just wait, I'm going to send my servant who's going to come and he's going to help you. And they're praying and they're praying and the Holy Spirit comes down and they start speaking in all these different languages, which is amazing. And people are, are kind of confused by it and they're, they're overwhelmed by the things that they're hearing and the things that they're seeing these people say. And all these crowds kind of come together and they're like, what is it that this guy, these people are doing? Are they crazy? And Peter stands up and says, no, we're not crazy. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what you should have been expecting. Acts 2, I'm going to start in verse 17. He, he quotes from the prophet Joel and he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. And so, so Peter's going through this example. He's saying, you're seeing these amazing things happen, but this is what we should have been expecting because God has been promising that he's going to work in this way when the time comes. In the last days. What is he talking about when he's talking about in the last days? When, when the Holy Spirit comes down and these amazing, wonderful things, these, these awe-inspiring things begin to happen. What is it he's talking about? He's talking about the completed work of Christ. Signs and wonders show Christ's completed work. So what it is that he's saying is Jesus has come and he's now enabled his people to be the ones to carry on his mission And he's going to give them this this miraculous ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things that no one had ever seen. God's going to work in miraculous ways through his people. And this will only be able to come across. This will only happen in those last days. And, 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 And there are different ways that people have interpreted the phrase the last days in Scripture for a long time. But, but for me, the simplest way that I tend to explain it is the last days tend to speak between after Jesus left and before Jesus comes back. Like, we're in the last days now, because I don't know if you've noticed, I haven't seen Jesus physically walking around on earth yet. So he is gone, he is up in heaven, he is sitting there waiting, and right now we're in this age where the church is his vehicle, the church is his tool through which he is trying to accomplish all of his purposes, the Great Commission, and seeing people saved and brought together, added to the family of God. We're in that period right now. And in those days, through those people that God has saved and brought together and filled with his Holy Spirit, he is going to work many miraculous signs and wonders. And this can this only happens after Jesus had finished his work. So, so just the fact that, as we continue reading here in a second in Acts, just the fact that we will see that these things are happening is, is, again, proof that God was right in that he promised these things were going to happen and that he's still able to faithfully execute the things he says will come. And so it, this, this demonstration of what Christ has already done, the, the fact that we're going to see these things means that Christ's work was complete, that Christ didn't have anything else that he needed to accomplish to make the age of the church ready to go. He, the, the work on the cross that Christ that Christ accepted upon himself, that he allowed himself to be mocked and beaten and bruised and murdered so that he could save us. That work was finished. That work was finished. And his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and his sitting down at the right hand of the Father is all that we need to have, know had to happen so that we now can be in this age where he's going to use his church in mighty and powerful ways. I'm just going to read a couple of different verses here from the book of Acts that just kind of demonstrate the kinds of things that we were seeing happening, that were demonstrating this completed work of Christ. Acts 3, verse 6 says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, as he says to a man who is laying there lame. Acts 9, 34 and 35, And Peter said to him, Annius, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Acts 40, just a few verses later, Peter in the house of a little girl who had died. But Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. 
And when she saw Peter, she sat up. The miracles that were being worked out in the church were being used by God. And this is important because th- that whole point, like what, what's the point of the completed work of Christ? Why did Christ come? So that he could add us back into his family, so that we could be reconciled to God. That broken relationship, that sin, that great chasm that we had experienced because of what sin had, had done to our relationship with God. The completed work of Christ brings us back together. So it's not surprising that, that the completed work of Christ, which is bringing about this time where these signs and wonders are being accomplished in an amazing way that no one's ever seen. People are being raised from the dead. People are being healed of their diseases. People, people are seeing, and we get these summary passages where like people were just trying to come and stand in the shadows of the apostles because so many amazing things were happening. But in each of those instances, we're seeing people turning to the Lord, people being saved, right? Because what was the end of that passage that we read in Acts 2, where he's quoting Joel? He says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the result. That's the result of Christ's completed work. And that's also the result of the, of the signs and wonders that follow showing Christ's completed work. They were being used to add, used by God to add more people to the church. And so here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. I mean, yes, we want to ask ourselves, how much of this do we actually see happening around us today? Do we see people being miraculously healed? Do we see people, you know, getting up from, from, from some sort of injury or ailment that they've always experienced? Do we see people's eyes actually being opened? When they were blind, we see people who were sick and being told you have no hope of survival, miraculously recovering and getting up and walking out of the hospital and going out and saying, it's an, it's a miracle. This is what God has done for me. Do we actually still see those things? Or even more important, we should probably ask, do we want to see those things? How much do we actually desire to see those things? take place. Because, because here's the thing we have to realize. Those who were in Acts were not just open to the idea, right? That's kind of the thing. That's where we kind of tend to fall. Like, I'm fine if God wants to work with miracles. I'm open to it. I think they can happen. But again, we're falling back into that, that kind of academic mindset. I academically understand that there should be room for signs and wonders and miraculous things to take place. I accept that this is a possibility. But do we actually want to see those things happen? We'll talk in just a second about why I think sometimes we don't want those things to happen and why that's not a good thing. But but first, I want us to understand that when we look in Acts, the people that we're talking about, they weren't just open to signs and wonders. They were desperate for signs and wonders. They prayed actively for them to come. They so wanted these things that they begged God to work in a mighty way to bring them about. Uh, If you still have your Bibles open, you can turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 29 through 31. Now this is all coming right after, we, we, we read this passage last week where Peter and John have been preaching and then at the end of their interaction, they got brought in, and they, they were told, you guys got to stop doing that. That's bad. Don't talk about Jesus. And then they beat them and charged them not to preach about Jesus, and they left. And their response was, wow, isn't God good that we were deemed worthy to be beaten and mocked for the faith just like Jesus? 
And then they went on preaching about Jesus again. Well, right after that, the church was spending time. You would think when you hear that, that story, when Peter and John get back to the rest of the church and they say, hey, here's what our day was like, what would your response be, right? What would your response be? Would your response be, oh, we should probably, you know, be a little quieter. We should probably go hide. Maybe we should just be, maybe we should just try to change the method through which we deliver this message so that that doesn't happen. Would that be you? Or would your response be like what they say here in Acts 4, starting in verse 29? They're praying and they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's a couple things here that I want us to notice. First is that that is not the response that some of us would fall into this. Everything seems dangerous, so instead, let's just pray that God would make us absolutely fearless and ready to go. And not just that we would go out and say things, but that God would do big, impressive, miraculous signs and wonders. Things, things that you can't hide. Things that word gets out when you start seeing signs and wonders. When, when, when girl was dead and girl is now alive, or man never walked and now man's walking around talking about these miracles that these people had done. That is, that is not something that is like, like low key. That's not something that you can avoid people hearing about. They're praying that God is going to do big, amazing, awesome things that, that demonstrate his power. They're praying for basically the spotlight to be put right on them and the message of Jesus, which is amazing. And that's what I think we sometimes lack is this desperation for God to do big things that draw attention to ourselves because we're afraid of whatever it may be. Maybe it's, maybe it's we're afraid that it won't work and we'll be embarrassed or, or, or that, that we'll be rejected socially or, or, or maybe wherever you are, maybe it's that you're going to be rejected and you're going to be, be, be harmed some sort of way, some physic, physical, you know, we talked about persecution being part of what the church is going to face. But they understand we are now in this, just like Peter said earlier, we're in this signs and wonders portion of history. And we shouldn't just accept academically that it's possible, but we should beg God to move in that way. And I would ask us, when's the last time we really asked for God to do miraculous things? Not just, not just like, and, and I'm not, if, if this has been you, I'm really not trying to single you out, but if you are, um, pray for travel mercies guy, and I, I say this a little bit in jest because somebody we know and love is traveling this weekend and we want him to be safe. But at the same time, if it's just, I pray that God would provide me this thing or I pray that God would do this little thing. Or if you are, uh, pray for healing, I stub my... I mean, those things are good. But when's the last time we prayed for big things? When's the last time we prayed that somebody would walk again that was told by a doctor, that's never going to happen? When's the last time... We prayed that God would heal somebody of some really... When's, right now, think about what we're facing as a country, as the world, as a global society. When's the, I mean, when's the last time you actively prayed hard for God to work a miraculous thing in somebody who is on a ventilator being told, you have no hope of coming off of that? Is that us? Are we begging God to do big, amazing, wonderful, miraculous things? 
Are we asking God to shake the place that we are in to demonstrate his power as he sends us out with boldness? Are we expecting that those things will happen? Because the answer is probably not. We're probably not praying that way. And sometimes it's because we just academically accept that these things happen, but we don't really we don't really believe it. Sometimes, and there are some who have made arguments that, that these sorts of signs and wonders don't happen anymore, that we don't see speaking in tongues, we don't see prophesying, we don't see dreaming dreams in these sorts of ways. God doesn't work that way anymore. And they tend to come from, from 1 Corinthians 13. It's not going to be up here, but, but in there, in that verse, it says, um, when the perfect comes, these things will all cease. And they use that, that phrase to say, well, when the perfect comes, was talking about Jesus, and now that he's gone, we don't need those things anymore. When the perfect comes, the Holy Spirit, we don't need, we don't need miracles and signs and wonders anymore. But I, I don't know about you, perfect does not sound like what we live in. This place does not seem that it is yet glorified and, and, and sin removed permanently from it. I don't think we've experienced the perfect yet. So I think that these things can still and should be expected to still happen. So maybe we believe academically, but, and I would ask you this question, are you bold enough to pray that these things would happen in your life? And I don't just mean pray, I will pray that God will work a sign or a wonder in my life. I mean actually desperately desire that God would do something amazing through you in a way that would demonstrate his power and bring glory to him and add more people to the church. Do we pray this way? Because here's the thing, and we sometimes don't like it, and here's why I think sometimes we don't pray it. Because sometimes praying for signs and wonders demonstrates a need for God to move. Right? It's, it's demonstrating our own inability to fix anything on our own. To ask God to do something miraculous means that we're saying we can't do anything miraculous on our own. And we don't always feel comfortable saying that or admitting that. This goes back exactly to what we've been saying over the last few weeks, that God is fully in control of his creation and his plan is being worked out perfectly. And to pray that God would work out signs and wonders through us means that we're relying on him to accomplish those things. And that's a scary prayer to pray. Because if he decides he doesn't want to do that, which is well within his rights to do, we're kind of left sitting there being reminded that we're not all that. Right? If I walk up and I say, I tell this mountain to move, and it doesn't move, it's not God's fault it didn't move. He didn't want to move it. But I am sitting there being reminded of my inability to move a mountain on my own. And I think sometimes that fear that we're too small is a reason to not ask God to do big things because it just reminds us that we're powerless. And I don't want us to be, be made to feel sad or small or insignificant because we're powerless. I want the idea of being powerless to be something that is, that is exciting to us because it means it's, it's on God. God is powerful enough to do that and we get to know him and he's going to work in these ways. And that that should be a good thing. That should be reassuring. Oh, thank goodness it's not all on me to make that mountain move. If God wants that mountain move, he can move it. And I can trust him. And that's a good thing. That's where I want us to be. And that's why I think when we think of it that way, when we say, God, we want you to work and move in powerful ways, do these miraculous signs and wonders through your church so as to bring more people into the body of Christ and add them to the family of God. 
We can have full confidence that, that if it happens, it's exactly what God wants. And if it doesn't happen that way, then that's also what God wants. And that's reassuring all the same. I was in a small group like, I don't know, it was probably 10 years ago at this point. This was, this was before we planted CRC. It was a Wednesday night, like, sit-down theology chit-chat thing. And a professor from ETSU used to come to it who was absolutely an atheist. Uh, if, you, if you took philosophy classes at ETSU, you probably have experienced a class with him at some point or another. Uh, and I just remember we were talking about miracles that night. And one of the things that he said um, was that, well, if you believe that God can work this way, then is a miracle really like a miracle in the way that we tend to define it? Like, should you, shouldn't you just think of it as old hat? Yeah, God works that way. Shouldn't, shouldn't it not be amazing? Shouldn't it not be miraculous? Shouldn't you not be overwhelmed by it if you expect it to happen? And it kind of divided the room. Some people were like, that's a really interesting thought. And some people were like, I reject that thought, and I'm going to be mean to you now because you're <laughs> longer. There's, there's a lot of personalities in that room. But I thought, we do that, right? The idea of the miraculous tends to fade, and the, the wonder that accompanies it, we tend to lose because we've experienced that. I mean, how silly is it that I was so excited about getting a Diet Coke refill that I asked my wife to take a picture of me. Like, like I, don't, I, I don't think I've ever done that. Hey, look, I'm getting a refill. Let's document this moment. That's not, no, that's not what we do. We don't do that because, because it's so old hat. It's something that we experience. But if we're experiencing the power of God, even on a daily basis, that should never lose the, the power and the awe-inspiring feeling that should accompany that. We should, we should never not be amazed. I think if, if signs and wonders were to start happening again, we would start seeing all these things happening within our church or within our, our households or within our interactions with other people. I think at first we'd be amazed, but then that temptation would set in to just be like, yeah, you see those things happen. And I think there is a level of confidence that comes with knowing, yeah, we believe those things can happen, and that's good. And we accept them. And it's not the first time we've seen it, so we don't question it. We've said that about prayer nights before. But like, like, we don't question that God does amazing things when we sit and pray. But at the same time, at the same time, we still shouldn't lose that kind of childlike wonder that comes with seeing God work out amazing things. Because, because here's the big thing, and this is my last point. Salvation in itself is a wonder. Salvation is amazing. And the fact that sometimes we don't get super excited when we hear that, that salvation has happened or that salvation is something that we have experienced, when we lose sight of the fact that just the fact that we get Jesus is amazing and we're not, we're not brought to tears, we're not filled with awe, just the thought that God, the creator of everything, has brought us together, added us to his family, adopted us as his sons and daughters... Think of the end of every single one of those accounts of signs and wonders that we talked about. 
And they turned to the Lord. And they were amazed by what they saw, and they began to follow God. They were added, there are those summary statements that we talked about just a couple weeks ago. And they were added daily, those who were being saved. Multitudes and multitudes. All these are a result of the way that God was working. Every single time someone was saved, that was in itself a miracle. It was amazing. No one had experienced that that way before. God was saving people. And salvation comes when we, when we are brought into the church. And this, is, and this is why I keep coming back to this idea of thinking about the ways God works academically versus thinking about it like a child. Because, because when we get older, again, we start to just overthink things. I mean, think about people, okay? Think about the person who goes from, I believe in Jesus, and it's great, to, I've now discovered systematic theology, and we can have these discussions about the ins and outs and the puzzle pieces and how things work. But they lose the wonder that accompanies just being saved and just being amazed that we get to know Jesus. There's this difference when we start to, when we stop thinking and acting like we're children of God and we start trying to think that we're like grown-ups that are peers with God, right? Because that's what we do, right? Like, like every, every child at some point, they... They're a kid, and they love their parents. They want to hang out with their parents. And then there comes that point where they're like, I'm going to be old now. I'm going to be your friend, or I'm going to be your coworker, or I'm going to work alongside you, but you will no longer just be an authority figure. And we try to change the way that we interact with them. We do that same thing with God. But salvation requires humility, realizing that we are not God, that we are smaller than God, that we are his children. I just want to read a couple of verses. This is Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Here's the thing. Salvation requires humility. Salvation, when we are saved, that is us saying to God, I can't do anything for me. I need you. I'm desperate for you to move. I'm desperate for you to accomplish something. God, please do something amazing. Save me. Add me to your family. Seeing miracles, seeing signs and wonders takes, takes that same level of humility, that same, wow, God is doing these amazing things and it's not because I academically understand it and I can create this miracle in a beaker and I can make it happen this way. No, God is doing things that we cannot accomplish. And it takes that level of humility, that, that childlike humility, that wonder that, that I don't want us as the church to lose. I so desperately want for us to be a people who, who are desperate for God to work in mighty and powerful and unexpected and un, unrecreatable ways 
Things that we can't do. I want him to accomplish so much through his church for his glory. And I want us to find joy and amazement and wonder in seeing what it is that he's already done in our lives. Maybe, maybe you're in a place where you're like, I haven't seen anything miraculous in a long time. God's been quiet for a long time. If you're part of the family of God, I just want to again remind you and encourage you to be amazed at what he's already done for you, what he is continuing to do, that he, he is continuing to be your father and that you have him. And I want you to be amazed and find joy in that relationship with him. He's given you this family, the church, and I want you to be amazed at the miracle that is the fact that we, we get to be the church together. It's a miracle that we've stayed as connected as we have over the past few months. And it'll feel like a miracle whenever we're finally able to see each other face to face again. But God has done so many amazing and wonderful things, and I don't want us as the church to lose sight of that. I want us to, to desire that these things would happen and then, and then have the faith given to us that we could, we could believe that it will and see these things through so that we can go out confidently saying God is going to do amazing things and he's going to do those amazing things so that more can be added to this, so that more can be added to this family. And so, so wherever you are, whatever you've been feeling, whatever you've been experiencing, I just want to remind you that God does work these ways through his church, through individuals that he loves and is working in their lives specifically. You are not forgotten by God. God is, God is working out something very specific in every single one of your lives. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. I want us to instead see and understand, have our eyes miraculously opened to see what it is that he's been doing in our lives all along for his glory. Let's pray. So God... I just pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work amazing and wonderful things through your church, through the individuals that you have saved, that you have called together. God, I just pray that you would Change our expectations. If we don't, if we aren't a people who would expect you to do these kinds of things, I pray that you would change that about us, that you would, you would open us up to the realization that you can and continue to work in these ways. God, I pray that you would rekindle that kind of childlike joy that we have experienced that when we first got to know you, that God, we would continue to feel and experience that even now. God, I pray that if, we, if we're thinking about the way you work too academically, we're just all up in our heads and our brains trying to say, I'm trying to understand the ins and outs. I pray, God, instead that you would just replace that desire to understand you with just this joy that comes with faith and knowing that you are who you say you are. God, for those who maybe are not feeling that right now, I just pray that you would comfort them, give them peace, remind them, that you are working in this way. And God, I also pray that for those who maybe don't and haven't experienced this kind of faith, this experience with you, the miracle of salvation, that you 
would save them, that you would open their eyes miraculously to see you for who you are, that you would open their hearts to desire you in this way and work the greatest miracle in their life that they could ever experience, and that they would have the joy of knowing and being saved by you, that they would realize the sin that's present in their lives that is separating them from you, and that Christ has done all that he had to do through his death, his burial, his resurrection, so that they could be saved. God, I just pray that they would surrender their lives to you, repent and turn from their sin and follow after you. And God, I pray that that in everything that we experience as the church, we would see your hand in it and the miracle that is your working out your plan in every single thing that we accomplish. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.